the blessing that's ours today of coming together is truly a great and a marvelous thing. The first day of the week is such a special time. It's an honored time when we have the privilege of honoring the great God of heaven. So good to see each and every one able to be about today. And certainly for the next few moments, I hope that we will be challenged in such a way to maybe look upon the events of life in a way different than what we may have tended to look on them in the past. I would take just a moment to say, though, that many have already commented this morning before the services began about the passing of Raymond Hensley. Uh, certainly, uh, I think I mentioned in the bulletin already, he passed away early on a Saturday morning. Uh, he was the preacher over here at the Liberty Church of Christ, which is really not very far from us, but I know that both his family and that congregation would be very much desirous of your prayers on their behalf that they might not only make it through these days in a good way, but that congregation might continue its sustenance and strength. I know very much they would be honored by your prayers. For us this morning, the lesson that we shall consider for the next few moments, on the one hand, for those that are marvelous in terms of faithfulness and the consideration of their life, may find this to be an incredibly reassuring lesson. But for those who perhaps are in another walk of life, it may well be a matter that almost will upset you. And so I would encourage all of us, though, to think with interest about a lesson that I've entitled The Providence of God with a particular emphasis on the man we call Joseph. This lesson, in some ways, was patterned after a sermon that J.W. McGarvey preached in August of 1893. Now, that's a long time ago. But nonetheless, some of these thoughts were at least patterned after a comment or two that he made then. I hope that you'll find the lesson encouraging. Here we go with a discussion of providence. The very mention of the providence of God is a topic that quite often has been the subject of much discussion. It has been the subject of a great deal of controversy, at least in the mind of some. But yet, maybe we can start by referring to the meaning of the word. As you can see on the slide, that word we and I recognize as providence comes from a Latin word that really is a composition of two words, but the basis is that word which we really, in our English language, get the word video. Isn't that interesting? So when you look at a video, you see something. You see it portrayed in front of your eyes and in front of your imagination. Well, that same root word is the root word of the word providence. And so you'll notice it literally means to see beforehand. It means to, as you can see, having a foresight. But let's be sure we appreciate then that providence used that way. It is not to say that God merely is capable of foreknowledge. That's true. But at the bottom of that slide, it would seem to me to be the thrust behind what the Bible teaches. When we discuss the providence of God, we literally mean His provision and how He orchestrates the affairs of time and space in such a way to fulfill the needs of His people and to lead them in the way that would be needful and that would be in, in benefit for them. Now, to say it that way is to beg a host of questions. We're going to address two of them at the very outset of the lesson. How does God do this? Does He orchestrate the affairs of your life and mine in such a way to bring about opportunities, to bring about that which would ultimately lead to our best benefit in terms of serving Him? Well, 
why don't we look at Joseph as we look at some examples of this. And this opening slide will make mention of those thoughts, those questions I mentioned just a moment ago. Does God interact with His universe? There are some who will quickly say, well, absolutely not. He, in essence, wound up the universe like a giant clock back at the beginning, and He put it off at a distance, and He watches it. That's what some people think. But you and I as Christians don't think that way. We are absolutely convinced that He does interact with His creation. Isn't it fair to say there'd be no reason to pray if He didn't? Aren't we admonished in James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We are promised that prayers do something. For His faithful children, they are good and effective. You and I believe God interacts with His universe. I'd be quick to say that one way that He has chosen on occasion to act is miraculously. There are times when He dipped His infinitely powerful hand into the characteristics of planet Earth and He changed something miraculously. Think about that time in Exodus 14 when the Red Sea parted. The children of Israel, having just recently come out of Egypt, were able to flow right through on dry ground. God worked a miracle. Another example would be Joshua chapter 10 when the sun stood still for an entire day. God did that. Now Joshua and the armies of Israel were, of course, battling the Amorites, but God, in fact, stayed the length of the day so that that could be completed. But isn't it fair to say God worked miracles on those occasions? Our question today is different. Does He interact with His creation in ways other than the miraculous? The answer is yes. How does He do that in your life and mine every day? I hope then over the next few moments as we revisit the record of Joseph that we will be reminded that He did it then. And there's no reason why we can't suppose that the same opportunities and action are available now. And so let's close that slide by noting this. We have some other instances in the Bible when God orchestrated events and brought things about, but we're going to look at Joseph. But have you ever thought about that scene in Genesis 22? God had commanded Abraham, You take your own son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham was ready to do it. He went to the place. He pulled back his hand, ready to take the life of Isaac. When an angel of the Lord appeared and entered into conversation and said, I've seen enough. You don't need to do that. And what was in the thicket behind Abraham? A ram just happened to be there. Was that accidental? Or had God moved things in such a way that the ram was there when it needed to be? May I suggest that God does work in His creation. A text that shall get us going is Romans 8, 28. We'll use that as the last text on that slide, and it reads, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. If you and I love God, called according to His purpose, follow through with the characteristics then, that would be becoming a faithfulness, we have every assurance that the things work in such a way that they will lead to good. 
Now, you may take note, it doesn't mean that every single thing that happens is good, but it leads to it. Let's go back to Genesis 45 and let's start our lesson then like that. Joe read just a moment ago from Genesis 45. I'll not reread the entirety of that, but could I pull out two of the verses? Now, this to set the stage, you and I remember that Joseph was now meeting with his brothers. They had come, of course, to buy grain because there was a great famine in the land, and they didn't recognize their own brother Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. And after a few chapters of consideration, you and I remember the time finally came that Joseph couldn't restrain himself anymore, and he told them, I'm your brother Joseph. As a part of that discussion, this is what he told them. Verse number 8, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and He hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So here is the situation where Joseph now tells them, I am basically ruler in Egypt. But don't you be afraid. You're not the one that sent me here. God did it. Now with that statement in mind, think with me about the preceding chapters. Joseph said that God did it. What were all the things that happened in these previous chapters that brought Joseph to this place and time? So on the slide, I've asked you a few questions. First of all, Joseph was the 11th of Jacob's sons. He was the first son of Rachel, uh, Jacob's favorite wife, I guess we'd say. But you may notice, along that line, we can now ask this. Joseph says, I'm now ruler in Egypt. How did it come to be? that Joseph, a Hebrew, ended up ruler in Egypt. Well, you might be quick to say, perhaps based on the Word of God itself. Well, isn't it true that he's the one that predicted there were going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, and the Pharaoh was not only sufficiently impressed by that statement, but saw wisdom in Joseph and made him ruler. Well, that'd be a correct statement. But what lies behind it? How was it that Joseph was in position to interpret Pharaoh's dream? Do you recall? In other words, how could it possibly have been? And so at the bottom of the slide, I ask you to note this. Isn't it true that Pharaoh first had gone to the magicians and asked them, I have had this dream. Do you recall the dream? Coming up out of the river were seven fat cows. Now, that alone is strange enough. But coming up right after them were seven scrawny cows, weak and pitiful-looking cows, and they ate up the fat ones, but you could never have known they had eaten anything. Pharaoh wanted to know what that dream meant. He asked his magicians, and they said, We don't know. If those magicians had been able to interpret that dream, Pharaoh would never have asked for Joseph, Joseph would never have been appointed governor. There was a critical link then. The magicians couldn't interpret it. But you could say, what more besides that? At the bottom of that slide, as Pharaoh had called for Joseph, where was Joseph at that time? He was in prison. So let's look at the next slide. You may recall that the circumstances surrounding Joseph in prison were these. 
Joseph had been cast into prison. But isn't it amazing that Joseph was quickly observed by the keeper of the prison to be a very impressive young man, and he rose to prominence, and the keeper gave him charge over all that was there. But you remember as a part of that, there were two other particular prisoners. One was the chief butler of the Pharaoh, the other the chief baker. Both of them in the same night had a dream. Isn't that interesting? The next thing we might immediately appreciate is they both had dreams on the same night. And they could remember what the dreams were. Can you always remember your dreams? I know many times I know I had one, but as far as the details, they have slipped from me by morning. They remembered the dreams, and the baker dreamed, or rather the butler dreamed like this. He dreamed that there were three branches, and he squeezed the grapes and produced the liquid to give to Pharaoh. Joseph interpreted the dream like this. Within three days, Pharaoh will elevate you to your former position. You will once more be a servant to the Pharaoh. Interesting, isn't it? The butler then became very excited. I'm sorry, the baker became very excited, and he thus told his dream. Because since the first one was good news, he thought his would be too. He said, there were three baskets on my head, and birds were eating out of the top basket. Joseph said, your dream represents the following. Three baskets are three days, and within three days your head will be stricken from your body. You'll be beheaded. And it came to pass, exactly as Joseph said, and Joseph made this observation to the butler, when you are back before the Pharaoh, don't forget me. Don't forget me. But the text ends in, chapter, in that chapter by saying he forgot Joseph. So the butler was re-elevated to his position and two years passed and he never remembered to say anything about Joseph. Think about it this way. What if he had remembered? What if he had impressed upon the Pharaoh that in fact there was a young man in prison who interpreted my dream and it came to pass exactly as it was supposed to have been and I was re-elevated by you into the position of butler. If he had told the Pharaoh that and Pharaoh perhaps had responded positively, Joseph might have been freed. He wouldn't have been in the prison at the time to interpret Pharaoh's dream. May I say there was the forgetfulness on the part of the butler that actually had a part to play in the fact that Joseph was where he needed to be to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Don't you find that impressive? Don't you find that intriguing? But let's read on. At the bottom of that slide, you may recall that Joseph had arrived at great position in the prison. That is to say, he was dutiful. He was a powerful steward of the things that he had been given. But that begs the question, why was he in prison to start with? Well, you and I go back even further in the story and we say, but that, wasn't it because Potiphar's wife accused him wrongly? And indeed it was. Remember, she made advances to him, and Joseph did not, of course, reply, respond in the way she wanted. And she thus accused him. And he was thrown, Joseph was, into prison. Now, why don't we pause a moment and say, Joseph at some point was able later to say, God did this to me. He brought me to this point in life so that I could preserve your life. 
But along the way, he had to spend some time in prison. Along the way, he was falsely accused. Along the way, he found himself in what otherwise were very difficult circumstances, and yet he claimed that God did it. God's providence is a rich subject. These particular matters of his life were orchestrated beautifully in such a way that they brought about God's will. Let's go even further. As we transition to the next slide, we might could ask, so how was it that Joseph was in position for Potiphar's wife to accuse him? We go back to chapter 39, and we remember, of course, that Joseph had risen to great respect in Potiphar's house. Do you recall that Potiphar was such that he was so impressed with Joseph that he had no idea about anything in his house except the food on his table. He gave Joseph free control and free appreciation of the matters of his household. He recognized in Joseph an astuteness, a wisdom. He recognized in him the characteristics of dependability and responsibility. But all of that leads me to invite you to note this. How had Joseph come to be in Potiphar's house? Chapter 39, verse 1 of Genesis tells us, There came a time when Potiphar went down to the slave market in Egypt, and he happened to buy Joseph. What if he had bought a different slave? What if he had bought someone else? Wouldn't the whole story have been different? Wouldn't the particulars of it have taken a different slant? And yet he purchased this youth that you and I recognize as Joseph, and after a while he saw the responsibility and dependability in him and thus made him controller over the entirety of his house. But at that point we could go back even further. How was Joseph even in the slave market? How did that come to be? We go back even further to chapter 37. Perhaps this is the most familiar part of the record of Joseph. Picture the scene with me in your mind. There was a day when, of course, Jacob had sent his sons to go and tend to the flock. And he had sent them to Shechem because that's where he thought the flock was. Well, the boys had gone to Shechem, but you and I remember from chapter 37 that they ended up going to other places. May I point your attention to a few of the verses there as we draw some lessons from them. Genesis 37, verse number 13 says, Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. And thus he made determination to send Joseph there. But as you and I remember, they ended up going to Dothan. But on the, along the way, look at what happened in verse number 15. So Joseph was sent, and here he was wandering around the area of Shechem looking for not only his brothers, but the sheep, looking for the flock, and he couldn't find them. And the text says, a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. What if that man hadn't found Joseph? What if he had not arrived at that time? Remember, he was able to tell Joseph where the brothers had gone. What if Joseph had been there an hour earlier or an hour later. And that man had not been there, and thus they couldn't tell Joseph where the brothers had gone. Would he have found them? 
Of course, if he hadn't found where they were, then they wouldn't have sold him into slavery. One by one, the links in this chain are becoming very numerous, aren't they? But you'll notice on that slide, at the bottom of that, notice how much more interestingly this plays out. You and I recall that as Joseph arrived at where the brothers were at Dothan, they see him from a distance. Joseph apparently had no idea about the nature of what they might do to him. And thus, he proceeded to not only approach them, but to look forward, it would seem, to conversation. And yet the brothers, even before he arrived, said, Here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. These brothers were so filled with animosity and hatred that they were willing to kill their own flesh and blood. And it seems as if they were almost excited and ready to do it. Then what happened? Joseph came near, and the following statement is made. Verse 20, Come now therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. At that point, the oldest brother Reuben interjected and said, Let's don't kill him. The verse particularly, verse 21 says, He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben in verse 21 cast him into a pit. But his idea was to come back in a little while and deliver him. What if that had succeeded? In other words, what if after saving Joseph, Reuben had cast him into a pit, and then in a little while Reuben came back and let him loose and he had gone back? to his father Jacob. If that had happened, he would never have been sold into slavery, most likely, and the entirety of this saga would have been different. But notice what else happens. The text goes on to say, verse 23, And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors, that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm, and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. Let's pause right there. So the brothers had in fact done the deed of at least casting Joseph into a pit, and lo and behold, a company of Ishmaelites just happened to come by. They happened to be going to Egypt. What if they'd been going to a different country? Not only that, what if they had come by one hour later? So remember, Reuben had intended to go back and deliver Joseph. If the Ishmaelites had been just a little bit later, Reuben probably would have had time to deliver Joseph, and Joseph would have been set free. But the fact was, these events were orchestrated like this. The Ishmaelites came by at just the right time. Reuben happened not to be there where he was, the Bible doesn't say. Maybe he'd gone to gather some wood for a fire. Maybe he had gone to talk to a friend. So the other brothers sold Joseph off when Reuben no doubt would have tried to save him. What if Reuben had been there? probably would have been very different. But the fact Reuben wasn't there, the Ishmaelites came by at the right time, 
And thus we arrive at verse number 26. Judah said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. So these merchants passing by just happened to be going to Egypt, and they sold their brother. One by one, if any one of the particulars we've mentioned hadn't have been the case, it likely could have been very different. But yet, Joseph, earlier we've already said, God did it. He's the one brought me to this time and place. For that reason, on the bottom of the slide, I've asked you to consider even a small change in the timing of some of these things could have made a grand difference. With that said, the next slide then is this one. One by one, as we've looked at what the brothers did to Joseph, piece it all together with me, now going from the front. They sold him into slavery. It just so happened he ended up in Egypt. But isn't it true that God had previously, 400 years earlier, told Abraham, your descendants will be in a strange land and they'll serve them. And then they'll come out in the 400th year. May I say, God knew all along what was going to take place. And He brought the particulars of these events in such a way that they brought about the possibilities and the particulars of all of it. You'll note about the middle of that slide. Because He had been sold into slavery, He could end up in Potiphar's house. He could be tantalized, if you please, by Potiphar's wife. He could then be cast into prison. He could then rise to elevation and respect in that prison, and in so doing, interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. The butler could forget about him for two years, and then, when Pharaoh had the dream about the cattle, the butler could remember that there was a youth in prison who could interpret dreams. Then and only then he made mention of Joseph. Pharaoh then called for Joseph to come, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh was so impressed that he elevated him to the position of governor. What an interesting arrangement of events. Does it not illustrate the providence of God, His orchestration of matters that made it possible for His will to so powerfully and readily be done? It is the case at the bottom of that slide. Some applications are rather evident. There are things that happen in your life and mine. At the moment, we don't always see the hand of God on it. But maybe in hindsight... After other events have transpired upon reflection, we realize, although that was a hard and trying time, and although it was challenging and the affliction was great, I now see that the blessing and spiritual benefit has been dramatic, not only to me, but maybe to many others as well. That's what Joseph said. May I again read chapter 45, verse 8. After us rehearsing the record... Him in prison, him falsely accused, him finding himself in rather dire straits a number of times. Have you ever thought about what it must have felt like when his brothers cast him into that pit? Do you think that he thought they were playing a joke on him? Do you suppose that he thought, surely they won't leave me here? And yet, they sell him. And as far as he knows, never to see them again. With all of that said, he then replies like this. 
So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. In the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, he makes another statement. This one, very much in line with it, but may I read that one? Chapter 50, verse number 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Joseph rather directly told them, you intended evil in selling me. You thought and played out the matter of evil, but God overruled and meant that for good and used it to bring about that which was good. As we draw near the final points in the lesson, isn't it true that the handiwork of God sometimes is difficult to fathom in its full particular? Maybe you leave the house just a little bit early or a little bit later some morning than usual only to discover there was an accident on that roadway and you might well have been involved if you had been on time. Or maybe you discover that some other event has transpired and you can't help but ponder, if I had been there, which I normally would have been, I could well have been seriously injured or at the very least it might have impacted me and my family in a very negative light. I raise all those things merely to say, I suppose all of us have thought about matters like that on occasion. At least in the life of Joseph, we shouldn't for a moment second guess it because the Bible says it. All of these matters were orchestrated. Everything from the forgetfulness of the butler to the characteristics that attached to Potiphar's wife's false claim, all of it was orchestrated and it wasn't always pleasant for Joseph but it ultimately led to what was good and the will of God. I hope we'll have a renewed appreciation for God's handiwork in His creation, how that He can, in providential ways, bring about the matters in your life and mine. With all of that said, let's look at the final slide today. It's the conclusion slide, the one that asks you to ponder some of the things we've seen. May I mention four of them? We've highlighted the providence of God. But notice along the way the attributes of Joseph that made that providence something that could be so effective. Did we not see a youth who was given to perseverance? Joseph could have given up. After the hatred of his brothers and selling him into slavery, how easy would it have been, I'm just going to forget about God. If God allows me to be treated like this, then I don't want anything to do with Him. Joseph didn't react that way. Joseph, in commitment and dedication, nonetheless remained loyal to an uprightness and a standing in life, and his honesty was impressive. Even the keeper of the prison recognized his dependability and honesty. Wasn't it also true that Potiphar saw the same? So with those said, the only two lessons remaining are these. His faithfulness to God through it all. And in finality the appreciation of God's providence. Looking back on it, Joseph could say, God did this. Now, as you think about God's providence, you might wonder, are there other biblical examples that highlight this? There are. Make sure to come back tonight at 
when we'll look at two more examples. And we will again piece together matters like a chain, appreciating the sequence of events that leads us to realize how much control God has. But this morning, are you a faithful Christian? Am I? If you aren't, why do you wait? Why do you delay? The God of heaven who can not only work miracles as so often seen in the Bible, He nonetheless can guide and lead your life and mine to a place of eternal bliss if we will allow Him to do it. May you and I be a dutiful servant and a dutiful steward of the blessings He's given us, always ready thus to appreciate His direction in life. Today, if we could be of assistance in some way, maybe, having never become a Christian, you now realize how desperately you need to be. Why don't you believe in Jesus? He hanged on a cross for you. He shed His blood for you. And He's preparing a home that He wants you to be a part of. But He does allow you to make the final decision. Why don't you repent of your sins? Those awful, detestable things that separate you from God and separate you from the Maker that loves you? Turn away from them. Make a beautiful confession that He is the Son of God. We'll be honored to baptize you for the remission of your sins. In so doing, you will rise to walk in a newness of life, Romans 6 verse 4. And that newness of life is a newness that appreciates the providence of God. If you have become a Christian, perhaps years ago, but today your faith is weak, maybe you realize that you have begun to do things that have brought reproach and shame upon the church and upon the name of Christ and upon that which you once so wonderfully stood for. Why don't you come back to your first love today? I know that the shame bothers you, it upsets you. Why don't you let the Lord forgive it? and take it away from you. That's the only way to get rid of it. If you'll do that, we'll pray, of course, today, and upon your repentance and confession, all will be forgiven. If we could be of some assistance today, why don't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.